1: Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify.
2: Welcome to another episode of Broadway Nation, the podcast that tells the extraordinary story of how immigrants, Jews, queers, African-Americans, and other outcasts invented the Broadway musical and how they changed America in the process. I'm David Armstrong, and I call this episode Let the Sun Shine In, the modern era of the Broadway musical part one. I don't think I'm alone in sometimes fantasizing about being able to go back in time to see certain Broadway musicals in their original productions. There are so many shows I would want to see, and I've talked about some of them in past podcasts. But if I could only choose one week out of the entire 125 years of the musical, it might be the week of April 22, 1968. A time travel tourist in New York that week could see, on Tuesday night, Fiddler on the Roof. On Wednesday, you could see a Jerry Herman double feature, Mame at the Matinee and Hello Dolly, starring Pearl Bailey and Cab Calloway that night. On Thursday, you could see Man of La Mancha. On Friday, Cabaret. And on Saturday, you could go down to Greenwich Village for the matinee to see the off-Broadway sensation The Fantastics by Jones and Schmidt, and that night you could see their big Broadway hit I Do, I Do. For the Sunday matinee, you could see Promises, Promises, with a book by Neil Simon and a score by pop songwriters Burt Bacharach and Hal David. And if you could stay one more day, you could see the opening night performance of Hair. Over those seven days, you would witness in the most visceral way some of the greatest examples and crowning achievements of the Golden Age musical play and musical comedy, as well as the influence that the avant-garde and experimental theater would have on them. And then a shocking and abrupt jump cut into what I call the modern era of the Broadway musical. To many, Hare seemed like a total break-from and even a betrayal of the values, craftsmanship and traditions of Broadway. But I see it and the other new kinds of musicals that rose to the forefront in the modern era as just further, inevitable, ongoing evolution of a form that had always reflected what was going on in American culture." Hare's co-creators James Rado and Jerome Ragney were successful mainstream actors who had both appeared on Broadway and had met in 1964 when they performed together in an off-Broadway play. Rado enjoyed acting but had always wanted to create a musical. "'That's where my real heart lay creatively. That was the ultimate to me,' he said." In addition to mainstream theater, Ragney had also been involved with the Open Theater and the Living Theater, two seminal experimental theater companies. In 1966, he played a leading role in the open theater's play Viet Rock. This inspired Ragney and Rado to begin work on a musical about hippie culture. As research, they started hanging out with groups of young people in the East Village who were dropping out, experimenting with psychedelic drugs, and dodging the draft. Rado recalled, "...there was so much excitement in the streets and the parks and the hippie areas, and we thought if we could transmit this excitement to the stage, it would be wonderful. And He goes on, we hung out with them and went to their beans and let our hair grow. They moved together into a small apartment in Hoboken, New Jersey, and started writing hair in every spare moment, either in longhand or on a typewriter they borrowed from their landlord. Rado said we were great friends. It was a passionate kind of relationship that we directed into creativity, into writing, into creating this piece. We put the drama between us onto the stage. Showbiz agent Nat Shapiro introduced Rado and Ragney to Canadian composer Galt McDermott, who wrote the show's score. McDermott's life was in great contrast to his co-creators. He said, I had short hair, a wife, and at that point, four children, and I lived on Staten Island. I had never heard of a hippie when I met Rado and Ragney. Rado and Ragney would write lyrics and send them to McDermott, who wrote the music independently. McDermott wrote the first score in just three weeks. That first batch of songs included the title song, Hair, I Got Life, Ain't Got No, and Where Do I Go. To a great extent, Hair was a return to the review format of the Silver Age of Broadway and this form would be employed by many artists trying to shake up theater in the 1970s, probably because it was a direct about-face from the integrated musicals of the Golden Age. As in a review, Hair was essentially a series of songs and skits, each taking on a topic of urgent concern to the tribe of young people that were the characters in the show. These topics included the war, the draft, racism, sexual liberation, the environment, drugs, etc., You could say that each segment was ripped from the headlines of the day, much like Irving Berlin's as Thousands Cheer had been 30 years earlier. But in other ways, Hare followed the Rodgers and Hammerstein template. It even had a dream ballet. Late in Act Two, Claude has a bad drug trip. He hallucinates and sees himself interacting with whacked-out scenes from American history, including a minstrel show-inspired sequence featuring Abraham Lincoln. And Hare's other comments on racial inequity are quite pointed and provocative. In the song called Colored Spade, the character of Hud, a militant black activist, proudly proclaims himself to be every racial slur and negative stereotype there is. He commandeers these insults in much the way that the word queer was later rebranded by LGBTQ activists. However, I suspect this song makes many people today very uncomfortable. And the songs Black Boys and White Boys made people uncomfortable in 1968, with young women of the opposite race singing lustfully about their interracial sexual desire. The show's pansexual sensuality also mirrored what was going on at the time. Rado said, To have intimations of these kinds of other relationships on stage, rather than just boy meets girl, was just very organic to what we were writing about, the hippie scene. It was truly about men loving each other as opposed to fighting each other. The show was first produced downtown at the Public Theater, and then moved to a discotheque called The Cheetah. Then Hair was completely overhauled for its Broadway opening three months later. The creative team added 13 new songs, including Let the Sun Shine In, which they included to make the ending more uplifting. Experimental queer director Tom O'Horgan was hired to stage the Broadway production. With years of experience downtown at La Mama, he had been the author's first choice to direct the public theater production, but was unavailable at the time. Rado himself originated the role of Claude on Broadway, performing opposite Ragney, who played the role of Berger. At the center of Hare's pansexual tribe is a bisexual love triangle between the characters of Berger, Sheila, and Claude. But the central love relationship in the show is between Claude and Berger, the characters Rado and Ragni had written based on themselves and whom they ended up playing on stage on a nightly basis. However, it wasn't until an interview in 2008 that Rado, for the first time, publicly described himself as omnisexual and spoke openly about being Ragney's lover. He said it was a deep, lifelong friendship and a love of my life. Of course, their relationship was no secret to their friends and the cast members of Hair, but in interviews at the time, they didn't talk about it. He said the show made a point of the love between two men. But we also have other things happening, girls with girls, boys with boys. With all people in the tribe, there was affection and physicality, and that was something very, very new, this kind of behavior on stage. As a writer for the queer magazine, The Advocate wrote, So it seems the bisexuality in hair was not a 1960s cover for being homosexual. It was the true expression of Ragni and Rado, who, although being able to respond to more than one gender—in fact, Ragney was married and had a son before meeting Rado— these two men engaged in a love relationship with each other based on profound friendship and deepened by professional collaboration. But there was one thing that Rado and Ragney did hide from everyone when Hare was about to open at the public in 1967, and that was their ages. Rado and Ragney were in their 30s in an era when don't trust anyone over 30 was an often-repeated phrase. They told people they were in their 20s, subtracting eight years off their ages. Shortly before Hair opened on Broadway in 1968, Variety reported, The musical is vehemently anti-establishment and pro-dissenting youth. Prior to this, most mainstream plays, films, and TV shows had avoided anti-war protest and the sexual revolution or mentioned those topics as a way of reasserting middle-class values. Variety also reported on another radical aspect of the show. The show includes a scene of total nudity with several men and women facing downstage. The article went on to say that police raids and arrests were common with nude shows, although New York City authorities have adopted a hands-off policy regarding sexually extreme legit fare, meaning Broadway. While hair was safe in New York, it was vulnerable in other cities. In Mexico, the show was shut down after one performance, and the cast album was banned in some countries. Though Hair became notorious for its brief nude scene, the show had no nudity in its first two productions at The Public and The Cheetah. It was not until the show hit Broadway under the directorial banner of Tom O'Horgan that nudity got the green light. The authors felt strongly that the nudity was vital to the defiance and freedom of the hippie happening. The scene was actually inspired by an event that took place during a bee-in in in Central Park that attracted a crowd of 10,000. As the authors described it, These two guys, in the midst of all these people, took off their clothes, and everybody was amazed and astounded, just like an audience. It sent them into this incredible place they had never been before. Apparently, a plainclothesman rushed out to inform the mounted police that were circling the crowd on horseback. 30 policemen on 30 horses moved in on the crowd to arrest somebody, but the crowd turned to the policemen and started chanting, "'We love cops! We love cops!' And as they were chanting this, the first two guys who had taken off their clothes disappeared into the crowd and put their clothes back on. So there was no one arrested. Rado said it was the perfect hippie happening and we felt it had to be in the play. Hair was one of the last Broadway musicals to spawn multiple top 10 hits. In 1969, songs from Hair reached numbers one, two, three, and four on the Billboard Top 40. Those include Aquarius, Let the Sunshine In by The Fifth Dimension, which reached number one; Hair by The Cowills, which reached number two; Good Morning, Starshine by Oliver, which reached number three. And Easy to Be Hard by The Three Dog Night, which reached number four. The Fifth Dimensions recording of Aquarius Let the Sunshine In was the number one song in the world in 1969. From its early preview performances on, the Broadway production of Hair played to near-capacity audiences and ran for more than 1,000 performances. During this run, nine productions of the show played simultaneously in other U.S. cities. At one point, there were 19 productions of Hair running worldwide. The London production opened in 1968, and the original London tribe of Hair included Richard O'Brien and Tim Curry, who later collaborated on the Rocky Horror Show. The 1979 film version of Hair tried to give it a more traditional narrative and was moderately successful in that regard. There was a hit 2009 Broadway revival, and Hair is still frequently performed in professional and amateur productions. Advocate magazine sums it up like this. Hair is the outrageous, groundbreaking, influential, and very bisexual rock musical that altered the social and sexual landscape in America. It changed the modern musical and helped turn public opinion against the Vietnam War. It was the first rock musical on Broadway, the first Broadway show to feature full nudity, and the first to feature a same-sex kiss. And the director of the 2009 Broadway revival, Diane Paulus, said, What was so radical about Hair is it was reflecting exactly what was happening in real time in the street, to the point that cast members in the show would get draft notices delivered to the stage door. There were, of course, many shows that tried to emulate the success of Hair, some of them written by Rado and Ragney, but only three found real success. Jesus Christ Superstar and Godspell both opened in 1971 and both retold the last seven days of the life of Christ using modern dress and contemporary music, and both these musicals introduced songwriters that would have major Broadway careers and write blockbuster shows. Jesus Christ Superstar was written by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice. They originally conceived it for the stage, but they were unable to find a producer, so they took a chance on what was considered to be an outrageous idea. Its first incarnation was as a concept album. Concept albums were very popular in this period. For example, the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper album and the Who's Tommy had both been released in 1969. The Jesus Christ Superstar album became the number one album of 1971, even topping Carole King's massive hit Tapestry. That success made a Broadway production inevitable. The authors called it a rock opera, and it was flamboyantly staged by Tom O'Horgan, who had directed Hair, and the show played over 700 performances.
0: Prepare ye the way of the Lord.
2: Godspell introduced Stephen Schwartz to the New York stage. This show started as book writer John Michael Teblik's master thesis at Carnegie Mellon University, where it was first produced. After a run off-off-Broadway, Stephen Schwartz, another Carnegie Mellon graduate, was brought in to write a new score, and this score ended up incorporating a variety of musical styles, including pop, folk, rock, gospel, and Tin Pan Alley style songs. Godspell moved up to off-Broadway and eventually Broadway, running a total of 2,651 performances. Both musicals were condemned by some religious groups who considered them to be blasphemous, and both were criticized for not clearly depicting the resurrection of Jesus. And some Jews complained that both of these shows were anti-Semitic, even though both Stephen Schwartz and Andrew Lloyd Webber are Jewish. The third Hare-inspired show to be a hit was the 1971 Tony Award-winning best musical Two Gentlemen of Verona, based on Shakespeare's play of the same name. It had a book and lyrics by John Guare and music by Hare's Galt McDermott. This is a show and score that I love. The show is set in a version of Italy during the Renaissance that is also somehow very much like New York in the early 1970s, and this brought out the contemporary resonance in Shakespeare's gender-bending comedy.
0: Love me, not your idea of me Release me from your fancy.
2: was a highly entertaining show. I saw the national tour when it came to Cincinnati when I was in high school and loved every minute of it. Amazingly, Two Gentlemen of Verona won the 1972 Tony Award for Best Musical, beating out both Follies and Grease. The success of Godspell led directly to Pippin, a musical that Stephen Schwartz had begun in college. And although I would not call Pippin a rock musical, the score includes many elements of pop, rock, folk, gospel, Motown, Latin jazz, and Broadway show tune. Every man
0: has his daydreams, every man has his goal. People like the way dreams have of sticking to the soul. Thunderclouds have their lightning Night- have their song And don't you see, I want my life to be something more than long Rivers belong where they can ramble Eagles belong where they can fly I've got to be where my spirit can run.
2: Pippin was the first cast album to be released by Motown Records. So many men
0: seem destined to settle for something small But I won't rest until I know I'll have it all So don't
2: ask where I'm going just... Bob Fosse was hired to direct and choreograph and he made the show as much his creation as it was that of Schwartz and book writer Roger O'Herson's. This was the height of Fossey's career, and his work was considered by many at the time to be a triumph of brilliant conceptual staging over weak material. The critics have never given much credit to Stephen Schwartz, in spite of or perhaps because of his enormous success. I personally believe that all three of the creators of Pippin did top-notch work, and Pippin went on to become a long-running smash and an era-defining hit. Don't go away. Broadway Nation will be back right after this short break. Hi, this is David Armstrong, and even here in Seattle, warmer, sunnier days are on their way. So it's time to fuel up for them and meet your wellness goals with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Thanks to Factor's menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto, or my favorite vegetarian, Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. So what are you waiting for? Kickstart that new healthy routine with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can crush those wellness goals with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make everyday delicious from breakfast to dessert with restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. With no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. With Factor, you enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle, choosing from six menu preferences that help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced meals. Here's what you do. Head to factormeals.com BN50 and use code BN50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code BN50 at factormeals.com slash BN50, as in Broadway Nation 50, and you'll get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Do it today! The success of Jesus Christ Superstar would lead to Weber and Rice's 1979 blockbuster Evita. Perhaps because of its great success first as a concept album and then on stage in London the previous year, when the show opened on Broadway, it was a pre-sold hit. Somehow in Evita, the writers are able to make the true life story of Argentina's notorious first lady, Eva Perón, into a thrilling, captivating piece of theater. Like Jesus Christ Superstar, the show is through-composed, meaning that there is virtually no spoken dialogue. The entire story is told through music and lyrics. This is the legacy of the bench scene taken to the ultimate degree, and it would establish the pattern of all British mega-musicals of the 1980s. As with Pippin, it is mostly pop and not rock music that was used as the principal musical language for Evita. And over the years, Schwartz and Lloyd Webber would both continue to move further away from rock and do what Broadway composers have always done, combine the pop music of the day with an eclectic mix of musical styles that is best suited to the story and characters they are dramatizing. Rock music in its purest form actually does not work very well for musical theater storytelling its musical rhythmic and lyric forms are too limited and too repetitive the most successful rock musicals from hair to rent actually are rock flavored musicals that use a variety of pop and traditional forms of songwriting
0: Stand back where the is because you know what' you're gonna get in me
2: just two years later, Weber and Rice's musical Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat opened on Broadway.
0: Jacob wanted to show the world he loved his son to make it clear that Joseph
2: Based on the biblical story, this show was actually one of Weber and Rice's very first collaborations, having begun as a 15-minute pop cantata that had been commissioned for an all-boys school back in 1968, and then was expanded for a record album in 1969. After the success of Superstar and Evita, Joseph was expanded even further for an off-Broadway production that soon transferred to Broadway and overall ran more than 1,000 performances. Joseph was revived on Broadway in 1993 and his received five West End Productions.
0: Such a, part of many
2: a brand new incarnation of the show for the London Palladium was put on hold by the COVID pandemic and is now scheduled for the summer of 2021. Worldwide, Joseph has been performed hundreds of thousands of times in over 80 countries, and there's no end in sight. On the next episode of Broadway Nation, Albert Evans and I will explore another defining aspect of the 1970s, the giant nostalgia craze that brought the music and fashions of the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and 50s back to Broadway and to the culture at large. Broadway Nation is written and produced by me, David Armstrong. If you are enjoying this series, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful in spreading the word to other people who might be interested. And please follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, or our Facebook page, where I often post photos and video related to each podcast. Special thanks to KVSH 101.9, the voice of beautiful Vashon Island, Washington, and to the Broadway Podcast Network.